All right, welcome to Learning to Talk podcast. My name's Matt, and I'm here with my friends Zach and Cam, aka Cameron, and we are here to learn to talk. How are you guys doing? Good. Yeah. We're just wonderful. Wonderful. Now, uh, today we're going to get into Zach's story about why he's in ministry. If you've been listening the past couple episodes, Cam and I have both shared our stories. So if you haven't heard those and this is your first time tuning in, after you listen to Zach, go back, listen to those last couple episodes uh, where Cam and I share a bit. Um, and yeah, I, just do it. I don't know. I don't have a good reason why other than <laughs> then I, th- I think it was very interesting to share our stories and to hear those things. That's yeah, good. It was insightful. Hard sell on that one. Uh, but before we get started, <laughs> I do. I want to share something with you guys. Um, I did something today. Ooh, that's congratulations. <laughs> Me too. I did lots of things. I did something today that I don't normally do, and that most of us don't normally do because we can't normally do it. Mm. And the thing that I did was, I ate a McRib for lunch. Oh, that I didn't see coming. <laughs> one to ten. I mean, have you guys had a McRib before? Actually, I just had my first one. They accidentally put one in my bag last week. You got a surprise McRib? Yeah, that's a decent surprise. Was it an extra or was it? Like I didn't pay in, for it at all. It wasn't in place of something. No, it was just extra. And it had, did it always come with pickles and onions on it? Yeah, yeah. It was. It was actually kind of good. I haven't had one since I was a kid, but I used to really like them. Now, yeah, when I was a kid, I feel like the McRib was around. Mm-hmm. And now it's just around sometimes. Yeah. But I, I had a McRib for lunch. Not the greatest. No. Not bad. But ah, I'm in Megan. Can do, you can do better. Yeah, I'm in Megan. Oh, try mine. And, and she, like. She like turned her nose at it when she took a bite of it. You know what my biggest problem with the McRib is though? And this goes for- The terrible barbecue sauce? Well, I yeah. I mean, well, that's one of them. But this is more of a, of a philosophical issue that I have with too many fast food items is that you can't really eat it while driving. Mm-hmm. There are too many fast food items that you can't eat while driving because mm. of yeah. the mess and the slop. Yeah. Anything from Taco Bell. <laughs> number one yeah. well which is yeah. my favorite fast food is it really in general chick-fil-a Weird. is probably up yeah, there yeah, too yeah. but the cheesy gordita crunch from taco oh, bell so good is the best fast food item in america why do we live in the greater burlington area there's no taco bell or chick-fil-a yeah doesn't st Albans still have a taco bell yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of sketchy though away. it's it's like half taco bell half kfc or something which oh. always makes me a little leery of <laughs> What's going on? You want your, ta- like, Taco Bell is hanging on by a thread anyway when you get your items. Right. Like, you can't have the employees split. Like, yeah. I've got to make this and this. They can barely yeah. make this as it is. Like, if you're de- if you're having to make fried chicken and taco, then yeah, those two things you're never going to go well. You're never going to make either great. You got to focus on one. Yeah. When I was a kid, we would always go to the U-Mall because there was a Taco Bell in the U-Mall. Yep. And only because they had Mountain Dew. Baja Blast. Yeah. Exclusively at Taco Bell. Exclusive. Forever. And it was the best. It's true. Oh, as a middle schooler, there is no better drink in the universe than Baja Blast. Yeah. Back to. I'll never order a McRib on purpose. All right. Let's talk about what we're supposed to talk about. It's very good. So we're here today. We've been sharing our stories about why we're in ministry, like I mentioned a couple minutes ago. So now that we've gotten through some nonsense, Zach, tell us. 
Why are you in ministry? That's a good question, which is why we're doing this. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and it's so multi-layered. I feel like I've, I've just been mulling over this um, for a while now. Cause, um, but I think I'll, I'll start to answer that question with kind of the first time that I really believe that I cognitively thought, I think this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. Um, I was 17 years old. I grew up, I'll back up even a little bit farther than that. I grew up in the church. My dad's pastor, grandfather's pastor, grandfather's other grandfather, pastor, Bible professor. Um, and, uh, so that's, it's kind of all I know, <laughs> really. I mean, this is what I've grown up in. This is everything, everything and everyone important to me, my aunts, uncles, all pastors. Um, and so there's a certain level of, it's surprising that my brother is not, you know, <laughs> or like that, like this is just who we, this is what we do. Um, but at 17, I was on a winter retreat, my junior year of high school, um, and laying in bed with my buddy, Mark, not with my, next to, he was in the bed. I was on the floor. Thanks for clarifying, clarifying that. Sorry. <laughs> we were in the same room going to sleep. Um, and, uh, and I don't, it's this moment stands out in my mind as the moment that I believe was the moment that I decided or felt called into full-time ministry and there was nothing special about it. We, I mean, we were on a winter tree. We had awesome worship time. There was a great worship team. There was a good speaker. Like we were encountering the Lord in services, but it was night. We were, the day was over. We were sitting there in bed, like in our room talking. And at some point in the conversation, Something like, well, I, I think we're, we were talking about leading worship in youth group and the guy who had been leading worship was graduating at the end of the semester. This was like January, February. Um, and I was a junior and, uh, something said something like, well, I guess we'll, we'll start doing it. We'll be in charge. And in that moment, I don't even think I said it out loud to Mark or anything. I knew in the deepest part of me that I was going to be in some sort of full-time ministry at that moment, which with what I said before, doesn't sound surprising. It's like, what else would I do? But kind of growing up in that context, you, I mostly was trying to figure out how not to be in ministry. <laughs> I watch, you know, I mean, when you watch, you don't make a lot of money. You don't like, it's a lot of work for like on all the like outward measurable things. It doesn't make a lot of sense for the most part, um, pastoring or being in. And so in that moment, I, I it's, it's not a profound, the Lord inwardly audibly spoke to me even 
it was just in that moment, I knew that this is what I was, I was going to, I was going to be in some type of full-time ministry. Um, and it changed how I moved forward with my life to a certain extent. Um, I mean, I had another year of high school left. I, um, really took the next five or six years and started throwing spaghetti up against the wall, really. And like, what are, how, how does this going to flesh out? I didn't think I wanted to be a like lead pastor, a senior pastor, like my dad. Um, and so I was a musician. I had been leading worship since I was, you know, in some capacity on a worship team since I was like 11 years old. So for, um, most of my like middle school, high school life there. Um, and so I kind of just in back of my mind, always thought that I would be some type of worship leader, worship pastor, but at 17 didn't have, I wasn't obsessive, like, like cam where I get a goal and like, I, you know, like I'm passionate is think of the word you use. Like obsessive works too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, like that wasn't, I didn't like get a goal and then like figure out the clearest path there. I just kind of always knew that's what I was going to do. And then like kept trying different things and not really using the language. This is unto figuring out what I'm going to do in ministry. It's like, I'm, in my early twenties, late teens, let's try something new. Let's do something different. Um, so and, let me, sorry. Yeah. Pause there. So to that point at 17, right. You grew up this dad's a pastor, grandpa, all that stuff. You grew yeah. up in this context of very, your, your fathers, your forefathers, mm-hmm. very, very literally were in ministry and pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, two questions, I guess. A, what did your involvement in church look like kind of in your younger years, teenage through that, um, you know, up to your 17 there. And did you ever feel like pressure external or internal to be involved when you didn't want to be, or, um, go into ministry? Like I have to live up to my, yeah, to my dad or, anyone saying to you like, Hey, I hope you one day take up the mantle of ministry. Right. Are you going to be, I mean, it's every conversation you have as a child, like you meet someone new, you're going to be a pastor like your dad when you grow up, you know? And so there's, there's definitely a said and unsaid external and internal pressure, um, to figure that out, to know if that's what you're going to do. Um, the first thing you said though was, what did your involvement? Oh, what was my, like, yeah. Like so I was super involved. I, my, this is, I was thinking about this today. I, at 11 years old, the kind of kid I was, I, my dad started a church, a new non-denominational church when I was 11. He certainly his credentials as a United Methodist pastor. And, um, I could tell that story. Maybe he will someday we'll have him on and kind of tell his journey of, of that. Um, but, uh, it was, it was like this big adventure for our family. We, we started this church. I mean, I, I feel that way. I don't know if they felt that way bringing me along, but at 11, I thought I was doing it just as much as everyone else. I was showing up early. I mean, we would do like, 
a break in the middle of service where we had donuts and juice and coffee. And for people to like hang out, it was a full two hour service with like a 15 minute, like fellowship break in the middle, a church intermission. Yeah. Like, you don't see that. A lot. No, yeah, it was, it was that. groundbreaking in 1995. <laughs> <laughs> we, like, we were like, um, yeah, it was full on intermission with like snacks and hanging out. And then we jump right back in and keep going for another 45 minutes. Um, but uh, I would show up early and fill the juice cups and, you know, set up chairs and whatever. And so I felt this incredible ownership over that. And that was part of the gift that that was given to me in those years. And I think some of the reasons why we even he like the Lord called them to start the church was for a generation to feel involved and have ownership over it. Um, but yeah, throughout middle school, high school, I was on the worship team. I, once I got to high school was volunteering in youth ministry for the middle schoolers and leading small groups. And, um, me and a buddy would travel and lead worship. I was, I'd play drums and sing while Ben would play piano and sing. And we, we would do worship for church retreats or, um, you play drums and sing at the same time. Yeah. That's fantastic. It was, yeah, it was, That's incredibly hard to do, by the way. It took some work. But that's where <laughs> I started singing. Like, yeah, that's crazy. I, it was behind a, really, I played, I we would travel with this, like, SBDX 20 drum pad or whatever they're called, mm. you know? Um, and it had a couple, it had a foot pedal, and I'd play that and sing. Um, but uh, throughout... As I got into the high school years, then even in the midst of that, like kind of subtle call to ministry to go to the second question with those external, the internal pressures, it was, um, not always internalized in a healthy way for me. It was, um, Cause those pressures were real. It was like, gotta be the good pastor's kid. I'm a first, I'm the oldest, like, uh, um, and, uh, so I did tend to compartmentalize pretty well. Um, what it looks like to, to be the good church kid and kind of live my life how I want to live it, especially those latter teenage years. Um, and so fast forward, uh, nothing really, I mean, I continued to volunteer with the youth group, led small groups for middle schoolers, post, post even high school, um, continued to lead worship at times. Um, but again, I was primarily a drummer. I mean, I picked up guitar at 17 as well that summer after this, um, summer for my senior year of high school. Um, at a necessity, uh, but never really knew what this was supposed to look like. I ended up going to, um, I took a year off after high school, not going to college, but didn't, I stuck around town, played with my band and cleaned the church and lived with my parents and didn't like accomplish a whole lot. Um, 
And then I went and interned at a church in Florida for a year, which was an amazing experience and made some lasting friendships. How'd you get hooked up with a church in Florida? Cause were you in, I was in Kentucky okay. during all of this. So I grew up in Kentucky and one of the guy who had started this church down in Florida in Jacksonville had come through the church in Kentucky. We were in Wilmore, Kentucky where there's a seminary and a college. So the pastor of this that had started this church down in Jacksonville had come through the seminary and, um, and I had the opportunity to go down there and, um, they paid me a little bit and let me live in the church and sweat out, make a bedroom in the top of a warehouse that they were meeting in. And, um, it was awesome. But even then, I mean, I'm, I'm still just trying to f- figure it out. Like, I don't, I don't really know what this means. I, I, w- I had gone to college for like a year. And I really didn't like that. It was like a liberal arts Christian university. It cost a lot of money and I didn't have clarity on what I was supposed to be doing. Like halfway through that, I I was like, Oh, I think I know what I'm doing. I'm going to major in youth ministry. Cause that was a major. And I was like, all right, that is, there's some clarity. And then I still I was like, but I couldn't just the idea of stomaching the, tens of thousands of dollars that I was going into debt just to do that. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. Um, and, and so at, this is all the way through my like 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, um, just kind of trying different things, intern at this church, go to college for this, like, uh, ended up coming back from the internship down in Florida to back to Kentucky to run a pizza business that my family and another family had purchased. Um, and it was kind of with the idea of how I think the future of ministry is bivocational to some degree. So maybe I run, get experience running this business, which was awesome experience. Um, and I'd go back to college part time and get like a business degree so that, you know, I have this like hands-on experience of running a business while getting a business degree. Um, and even in that, it's just not, nothing was sitting right. And mostly it was because I had to circle back a bit. I had really dug my heels in, in the whole compartmentalizing my heart and life. Like I knew that the Lord had called me to ministry, but I was not inwardly and externally living as if that was like, he was, he was even real or, uh, relevant to how I was going to get there or what I was doing day to day. Um, as you're kind of, I mean, you just dropped a big bomb there, but as you're kind of floating through these years of mm-hmm. doing this, trying this pizza business school, youth ministry pro did you ever doubt and have moments where you're like maybe i shouldn't go into ministry this doesn't nothing seems to be materializing in a very clear path maybe yeah. this wasn't real uh, yes i mean that was the it was it almost wasn't even doubt as much as it was like so 
divided inside of my heart and my mind of like the the doubt was not even just am I called to ministry the doubt was is any of this real you know I like I knew better than to not live outwardly to a certain at least most of the people in my life um I needed to look and act a certain way. There was a subgroup of people in my life where I was, you know, going out and doing dumb things with. Um, But the doubt was whether it was real. The whole thing I had this, this I'll I'll kind of come to a end of this section of really the call to ministry and why I'm how I got here. Cause it was that moment, that weird woman at 17 and then like six years of just trying a bunch of different stuff and not really knowing whether any of it was real. Um, and part of it happened is when I came back to Kentucky t- and ran the pizza place, I was, it was, it took everything. I was there 80 plus hours a week 21 year old like was handed this little pizza business but it but i mean everything from like writing the checks to ordering to training and hiring and i mean i learned a ton really fast but i i was fully giving myself to making pizzas 80 hours a week pizza is uh research shows the greatest food of all time well by far yeah. i mean i ate pizza multiple times a day for two plus years and still would choose to eat it every day if i could you you um, told me yes that sir before. yes yeah. sir <laughs> like and i i'd do it again yeah i would um <laughs> i worked at a pizza place in seminary for a few months before uh they got busted for underpaying um <laughs> never mind uh <laughs> but yeah same thing i would yeah. um i would eat pizza Every single day. I would never complain about that. Yes. Um, good pizza, bad pizza, doesn't matter. I'm an equal pizza opportunist. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, do I have favorite pizzas in different categories of what good pizza is? Absolutely. But if it's pizza, I like it. Um, but in those days, it, it really, it set me on this journey. It was kind of like a faith crisis for me because I was no longer doing ministry in any capacity. Like I had been since I felt like I had been doing since I was 11 years old, like doing the overheads at church. I was the overhead kid at our new, ch- you know what I mean? Like the cellophane clear. Yeah, like, yeah. 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 And I was good at it to then it the percussionist, to the drummer, to the, you know, whatever. And, um, and I was, I, I was fully giving myself because I had to running this business, and especially in the beginning days as we were kind of revamping it and hiring and training and all that. And so I realized quickly that my identity, all those doubts of is this real were all tied up in doing something for God to maintain a image of who I was. And once all of those things were taken away and I was just the pizza guy, I had to wrestle in a real way with what was, what is real? Who am I? And who is God? Who, and how does he relate to me? Um, and I didn't for two and a half years of running a pizza place. I didn't get that answered. Like I just lived in this like limbo of something's not, I don't, I, 
I'm no longer what I was because I'm not doing the things that I have always done. And I kind of got to the end of that. And I was like, I don't want to be the pizza guy. <laughs> like that's how that all ended was my family had moved and da da da, and there were the circumstances and the opportunity for me to be the pizza guy and do that for the remainder of for however long I wanted was there. And I came to the decision where like, well, I don't want this to be who I am. I don't want to just make pizzas. And it was in that moment where I transitioned out of being the pizza guy, decided to go to music worship Bible training school and work the summer doing a different job prior to starting school where the Lord really met me and kind of set me on a path to have clarity on not just what, was I to do with my life, but who I was in that ministry. I mean, he just showed up in a way that I woke up one morning and he just, he quoted the Bible verse in him. You live and move and have your being like inwardly audibly to me as I was waking up. And basically like said these words, like Zach, you think you've gotten to your, this point in your life as like a 23 year old because you are capable of doing X, Y, Z and you're talented or you can da, 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 all. And the truth is you didn't wake up this morning unless I woke you up is what he said to me. And it's just like, like my whole world literally blew up in a moment in my mind, in my heart. I was like, you're right. I, I can't do any of this without you. And it was just, I, it's like my eyes opened to everything I knew to be true actually became a reality in my, in my life in this second. And it was from that moment on, it was, it was the clear, the, the call to ministry became clear and it actually didn't even matter what it looked like or how I did it or it was the fact that I was, that he was real and relevant and that no matter what I did, I was going to do it as ministry to with him in whatever it looked like. And so then I was headed to Bible school, music school, worship school. And I started out as a drummer because that's what I do, right? Yeah. And people were like, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I was like, well, I'll probably be a worship leader or something. But so what are you focusing on in school? Percussion, drums. And people just look at me like I was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have an answer. I was like, well, it's just what I do. I play drums. like, And I'm called to ministry. And I think I like music. So I'll probably be a worship leader. Yeah. I, I want to reflect for yeah. a second on that moment. Because mm-hmm. I think that's pretty profound. And it, I know it's something that I've gone through. And I think a lot of, especially young people go through it if they've felt called to ministry. is, And it seems cliche to say, but ministry almost becomes God in mm-hmm. a sense where everything you think and do and want becomes more about being good at ministry than yeah. it is about like Jesus and following him and knowing him and loving him. And I don't know, as just as you're talking, like I, I kind of see that having played out in your story is like, yeah. I know I'm supposed to do ministry 
So I'm going to work to do ministry rather than I'm going to love Jesus first, Yeah, you know, and, and just see what happens as I do that. And I, I think, I think that's really, that's really prevalent in people, you know, and even you don't, you don't have to be a young person. Like, no, I think that's what happens to a lot of pastors and church leaders who, who wind up failing in some ways. I shouldn't say failing, but going through these moral lapses or, or, um, uh, moments where maybe they, I don't know, they step out or they get burnt out, um, or have to be removed for whatever reason is because doing ministry is more primary to you than, than Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I know I felt that. Yeah. I mean, and that's, it's a, it's a constant like thing that we have to be aware of. I think as, as we walk out partnering with the Lord in ministry and whatever expression that is, we have to, we have to be aware that I think it's just our tendency as humans to, to like, like the tangible to be able to say, I did this or I'm doing this and take credit for it and then get the, like, the motivation be to accomplish it versus have the opportunity to partner with Jesus in it. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's semantics if you want to call it that, but it's real in our hearts, I think. And that's kind of where I, I started from. Like it wasn't, I didn't, I, I now have to course correct myself after time over and over again and like make sure that's not why I'm doing what I'm doing. And those aren't the motivations of my heart, but that's, that's what I realized in that moment at 23 when the Lord encountered my heart in that morning in North Carolina, when I was sleeping on the floor of an empty apartment, working six days a week, 16 hours a day, selling books door to door. (laughs) Like I when he woke me up that morning and spoke so clearly to me, it was, it was that exactly. I had a lifetime of doing what I thought I was supposed to do and making decisions so that I could do what I was supposed to do versus recognizing that it's all about him anyway. Um, yeah. And it's, and it, and it comes back. I think we mentioned this when we were talking about how do you hear the Lord in the previous is like that. I mean, it, the, there's oftentimes in my life where I've had good opportunities multiple good opportunities. And the Lord said, it doesn't, it's okay. It doesn't matter. You get to choose the, the, what he said clearly was you just got, you get to do it with me. You can do this good thing or this good thing. You just got to make sure that I'm you're We're doing it together. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so easy to forget that like doing a good thing is good, but, but that's not do it. That's not Jesus. Right. So Mm -hmm. like, yeah, let me, let me even something like, let me preach a sermon. Like if, if Jesus isn't a part of your process and like at the forefront of it, like, what are you doing? You're yeah. just talking. Um, so anyway, I, I just, I, th- I found that just to be so indicative of where so many of us go through as we're following the call of the ministry is it's almost like we have to go through moments where God has to wake us up and say, Hey, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm here. Right. You know, Remember, and, this is about me. Yeah. Cause I, and, and just speaking from a selfish point of view, like 
ministry affirmation from people feels really good. So it's really easy to like do things and try to do them well and get the pat on the back and go, yeah, <laughs> ah, I am awesome. You know, <laughs> but, and, and, but when you do it with Christ and you do it for him in a way beyond just like lip service, those pats on the back find their proper perspective. Yeah. In your heart. And they're real. I mean, and the Lord made us that way to like want those things and to feel those things. But if, if it's not secondary to, man, you woke me up. You're giving my breath right now. Yeah. <laughs> like then I'm only then, alive cause you let me be. Yeah. yeah. Like I don't even, like, I literally can't breathe unless you're like letting me breathe right now. Um, Can I ask you two questions sort yeah. of unrelated, but back to pizza guy years. Yep. One question, what did, um, and you said you weren't like serving or doing ministry, but were you, were you going to church? Were you worshiping? And two question, what did music look like for you during that, during that season? Yeah. Um, at first we are, the pizza place was open on Sundays. So I wasn't even attending church. Um, cause at that point it was all hands on deck. I, I was the only guy I was only had like eight days with the previous owner and he trained me on everything. And so like I was the only guy that knew how to do anything cause we had, he had closed for two weeks. And so I had to hire a whole new staff, all who knew nothing. And so I, w- I had to be there all the time. Or at least I felt that way. Maybe that wasn't true, but that's what I, that's how I did it. Um, so no, I wasn't. So that's part of like how it just like, it was like all or nothing. I went from literally being an intern on staff at a church to coming to Kentucky and not even going to church on Sundays. Um, soon, maybe a year into that, I was able to not be there. Some on Sunday mornings, um, go volunteer on the worship team, play drums, at my home church, uh, and music. So that was pretty much the only outlet for music I had during that season was, um, was sporadically sporadically volunteering as a drummer on the worship team. You weren't playing in band. I wasn't playing in a band. I wasn't, um, yeah, I mean, I was just working and, and I went to college part time a couple times over those two and a half years. Yeah. Um, and, uh, took classes and yeah, I just, when I got off work at whatever, I would go to the bars or, something mm-hmm. um and spend as first time in my life i had a salary it was not very much um but no but uh, when you're what 22 yeah, yeah. it's pretty sweet yeah i was like guaranteed same amount of money every week i was yeah. uh, and my grandparents were letting me live in their apartment under their house for free so like i had very little expenses and i ate f- my pizza. food was free <laughs> so and it was pizza i had twenty thousand dollars a year to spend on nothing but yeah not good things. Um, but, uh, yeah. So it was, it was definitely a very, it seems dramatic, but it was a dark couple years in my life. Like I, some of the most fun, like was my fan, like my brother and my cousins and my, childhood friends or all the people I hired to like work at the pizza place with me. It wasn't super efficient. Um, but, uh, we, we ate lots of pizza and had fun. Um, 
but pizza party every day. Yeah. My brother and his friends were all in college. So I'd like go hang out at the dorm afterwards. 3 a.m. would roll around and be like, we're hungry. Well, let's go make pizzas. Um, <laughs> I have keys. It's my place. Um, and so that's pretty cool. But yeah. And it, that all brings me to here. I mean, I, I, I've been in different ways since, uh, going to ministry school, had the opportunity to lead worship and train singers and musicians, um, in the context of everything from house of prayer to church and, um, and I get to now be here in Vermont and be a resource in that area and, really get to know a whole lot of people who whether they know it or not are you know flirting with that call of ministry and worship uh, remind us because we talked about it in a previous episode but just remind everyone who might be listening what does your ministry look like because it's not conventional yeah um it's like the coolest job ever <laughs> <laughs> i think so I, i'm super thankful all every day um yeah, i work for a nonprofit organization here in burlington vermont and um our mission at its core is to serve the city of burlington and serve the church of vermont um and be a place for the kingdom of god in 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 Burlington. And so for the past five years, I've had the opportunity to um, help us as a ministry serve, support, resource, equip, encourage primarily singers, musicians, but pastors and leaders throughout the church of Vermont, um, specifically in the area of music worship stuff. So I get to do everything from facilitate weekly worship gatherings where people come together from different churches all over and worship together for an hour. I get to be in multiple churches a month and serve, whether it's filling in for a worship leader or setting up a sound system for an event or um, playing drums when the drummer's out of town to um, just building relationships and discipling and, and um, just being a place to, um, have real conversations about what it looks like to do that and be connecting point and say, Hey, you know what you're saying this, the Lord's asking you to do this. I know someone else who's kind of has similar ideas or passions or skill sets and, um, to songwriting and whatever I get, I kind of get to some, my brother-in-law put it one way when I was trying to explain it to him, he said, so it sounds like you just basically get to live your life and get paid for it. I was <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. is what it sounds like. Yeah. It's like, I do everything I would want to do out of this like deep, I didn't even get into this, but like this deep love for the body of Christ and the church. And then I, and value worship and seeing it multiplied in Vermont. So from that, from the wake up, God, you put breath in my lungs moment to where you are now doing all this big stuff. Like, I don't know what, what got, what got you through to this place of like, Oh Jesus, you, you, you woke me up and reminding me of your presence. 
And now you've got this like multi-church, like statewide ministry of resourcing people and like this love of Christ churches. Like how do you go from like what instilled that love of, of the greater body of Christ in you rather than just saying, Oh, I'm going to serve at a local church. Two things. Um, super clear in my mind, actually. Um, number one, it's, uh, my dad. I can remember, um, through some of the transitions that he went through with the church that we started in 95, 10 years later, he stepped down as the senior pastor and kind of did some other things. Um, and it was, it was the right thing. And it wasn't any, he wasn't asked to, it wasn't moral failure. It was just the next season. Um, and, but it was hard. It was hard for our family. Um, so transitions hard no matter what. Um, and I can remember him taking our family on a, we call it probably just vacation. Um, but we were sitting in during that time and he, he was kind of just filling us kids in on where we were at with the transition and what was going on. And we, I was, I mean, I was, it was right around that same time. I was like 16, 17. Um, and, uh, I can just remember him weeping, explaining where was, where everything that was going on and not weeping because of what was going on, but because he wanted, he said, I just, I don't want any of this to, to change or give you a perspective that makes you not love the church. I want you guys to, to grow up loving the church because it's plan A and there's no plan B. Um, and the Lord was kind in that in a lot of ways. I mean, through a lot of different, I mean, growing up a pastor because you see all the back end stuff. You see how hurt it, people can be mean, you know, like just is the being in ministry means that you are in your, the context is people. It's not doing stuff. It's working with people and people are broken and hurt and hurt people, hurt people. Um, and so it's that number. That's one, but equal to that is, uh, post that wake up moment. I was in a context. It was such a gift for that to happen a month before I dove into Bible school and the, the hours and hours I spent in the word in worship and the foundations that that set for the rest of my life during that time where it's, it's impossible to have a deep intimate relationship with Jesus and not love the church. It's his bride. It's, it's what all of time in this age is working towards him coming back for a pure and spotless bride that he's going to be married to forever. Um, and so between this, like just the way that 
I don't know how my dad kind of just passed that mantle for lack of a better term of like, this is, this is it. You, you, it's going to, it's going to suck sometimes. It's definitely not perfect. And it's, but it's, this is, this is, this is what we got. You can't say you love Jesus, but I'm not really into the church thing. It's not possible. You can't do it. And then a season that, but that wasn't, that isn't just, I mean, that kind of set a rhythm in my life of, of intimacy with God through prayer and worship that just solidified that, like, this is, this is his, it's his and what he loves. I want to love. Uh, you're married. Mm-hmm. You have three children. Yep. Little one is six months, five months, almost. Yeah, five and a half. Uh, what role does your wife play in the ministry you're a part of? Does she is she alongside? Is she good wife holding down the fort while while <clears throat> husband is ministering? Um. How do you guys partner in ministry together, especially in this like non-traditional sort of ministry um, you're in? Throughout the years, it's obviously ebbed and flowed with new children coming on the scene um, because she does have the opportunity to uh, stay at home full time and take care of the kids. And now she's homeschooling and I mean, we're homeschooling, but she's primarily she's there. homeschooling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I try to help. Um, that would be a detriment to your children <laughs> <laughs> if you tried to teach them math. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we're definitely, I would say we're partners in this whether and how that fleshes out changes in different seasons. Um, she is also a very gifted musician, worship leader, singer. Um, I have a hot take. Your wife is, I think the best vocalist that sings at our church. No comment. Um, but she's great. She is. She's fantastic. I agree. I'll agree with that. That's just my hot take. Yeah. No offense to anyone else. I was going to say, no offense to like everyone else. On the, on the <laughs> no, I think, I think Megan is, I remember the first time I actually heard her sing, I was like, Oh man, Megan, come on. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, the reason I'm hesitating on that question is because honestly, I'm looking towards the day as our children get a little bit older, where we get to stand side by side more and more Absolutely. in what we, in what Absolutely. we do right now is a hard season in that with a little bitty guy, um, and all of that. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm trying to be okay with that season right now, but it's hard for both of us, honestly. I mean, she's, we're, we, we operate a lot better when we're able to, to be arm in arm in, in this. Um, yeah. and I, I think I've been around when both of you have led together and it is a joy because you're both so talented and gifted and that's so obvious, but yeah, getting to do it together and like prepare yeah, and, uh, and then just be in that space and sing. Together. Yeah. And a lot of, and a lot of yeah. what we do is very relational. I mean, um, yeah. so we, you know, we'll, f- there was a season pre COVID where we were having, 
you know, someone in our house for dinner three nights a week, you know? Um, and that doesn't happen without Megan very well. So, I mean, and that's a huge part of, of how we've built the, the relational connects that we have here. And yeah, it is. uh, And just to shout out to all parents, especially moms, because the burden is so often on them who take the seasons with their kids to be home and put away work or the fullness of work relationships, Mm -hmm. fun that they were having to care for their children. Like what a gift you are. And, um, yeah, I know. I feel that about my wife in, uh, in the, uh, our kids are getting older, but yeah, just thankful, thankful for all, for all of you moms, especially and dads who do it. But, mm-hmm. but the burden seems to fall on moms a lot more. And I know you feel that way about Megan. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what keeps you in it? You could do other things, Zach. What keeps you in it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I was answering this question as I was driving over here and I mean, it really is. I was thinking about during those years and even early years of, I've done a lot of different things. I've, I, um, so it's not just that I can't do anything else. Um, but it's, I can't do anything else. <laughs> I, echo, um, I echo that sentence. Yeah. Right. Like it's, life. it's, I, you could do a lot of other things. <laughs> right. But I just can't, I mean that it's, it's, not in me to do anything else than to give myself fully to this. Um, and I don't know what that's going to look like forever. Honestly, I, I mean, I think that the outward expression of what that means could change as seasons change in my life. And I grow older and kids grow older and I'm not, I'm no longer the young adult worship leader. <laughs> um, You're the middle adult worship. <laughs> right. Um, and so I hope that this looks more like having many young people who I'm helping bring up and I get to step back to some degree. Um, and, uh, but what keeps me in it? I, I mean, it's mostly that it's, it's, it's this innate God given love for his people and an urgency for the times we live in to, to see the church big C walk in a health and um, in a maturity that is able to partner with what the Lord wants to do in this as we move closer to his return. Because I think we... we need to be ready and we need to, um, as people, as the Lord 
brings people into his kingdom and more people surrender their lives. We need a church that is so alive and equipped to point people to the beauty of Jesus that it's not going to be an issue. Like we can have revival or whatever you want to call it. Bunch of people getting saved and there's a place for them. Amen, brother. Amen. There's a lot I want to talk more about, but we are unfortunately up against our time. Um, but the point of this podcast is that as time goes on, we're going to dig into a bunch of topics, subjects, life events that we will reflect more on in our history, especially. Mm-hmm. So like Zach, some of the things you shared today and some of the things I'm sure you skipped over, we'll be, yeah. we'll be getting to same with Cam's story, same with my story as we continue this uh, adventure called learning to talk. So uh, we hope you keep tuning in, uh, Zach. Just as someone who uh, has benefited from your ministry, but also from your friendship, I just want to say I'm glad we're in the same place. Me too. And that we get to do ministry together in a uh, in different ways, and uh, you know, get to get to eat things like queso and watch football <laughs> and just be buddies. So appreciate you, man. So good. You too. All right, friends, that's uh, that's it for this edition of Learning to Talk. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram. And uh, that's at Learn to Talk Podcast. And if you're interested in hearing more stories from more people, uh, I encourage you to check out the Learning How to Walk podcast. Uh, our friend Cam hosts that, and that's just a podcast of stories of people who want to follow Jesus and otherwise. So I encourage you to check that out. Anyway, friends, thanks for being here. We will see you again next time on Learning to Talk. Learning to Talk podcast was produced by 6-5 Films in Burlington, Vermont. If you enjoyed our conversation, make sure you find us on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. And like, comment, subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at Learn to Talk Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon.